Friends, it is December 6, 2020, uh, already one of the fastest years I can even imagine. We are wrapping up, uh, headed into the last month, wrapping up the last, this, last of this crazy year of 2020. Uh, you can say amen right there if you want to. Uh, we are very quickly going to end this year. Uh, it is December 6, 2020, and I want us to be very sure today. I want us to be aware today. I'm glad that you're here I want us to not miss this today. Today, this very day, the world needs the church. I want you to be aware of that. I want us to not miss that. I want us to be certain of that today. The world desperately needs the church. But friends, not just any church. It needs the gospel-preaching church. It needs the gospel-defending church. It needs the gospel-proclaiming church. Church, this very day, the world needs a gospel-proclaiming church. This week, I preached a funeral. Last week, I preached a funeral. I'm going to preach another funeral this Tuesday. I was talking to the funeral director. He told me that they had presided over 28 funerals last month. I don't think that's an increase. I think that's normal for their average. 28 funerals last month. Did you know that any one of those who did not know Jesus Christ, who did not trust him as their Lord and Savior, they have perished eternally forever. They have perished in their sin. Well, we don't want to talk about that. Well, we're headed into the Christmas season. That seems very negative. Listen, do you know any of those 28 that did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ based in faith They have perished for eternity. Friends, the world needs a gospel-preaching church. Now, let me tell you the flip side of that. The flip side of that, any and all of them that had trusted Jesus, here's what the Bible says. Right now, they're with him. Do you know that? The Bible says to be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord. Any of those 28, all of those 28 who had trusted him by faith, Right now, this morning, they are in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, the world needs a gospel-preaching church. Here's what I'm seeing, and here's what I'm worried about. Do you know this morning that the church can be sure, and we we, we better be sure of this, that the coronavirus is bad? It's bad. It's terrible. We hear of the spikes. We hear of the things. We hear of the deaths tied to it, and we're concerned about that. But did you know infinitely worse of dying of the coronavirus is dying outside of Christ for any reason? And see, that's our responsibility in the church. That's our, that's our problem in the church. Listen today, the greatest, the, the, the greatest thing that could happen, the worst thing that could happen, the biggest thing that could happen is you go through life and you never put your faith in Jesus Christ and for whatever reason you perish outside of Christ. The world needs today a gospel preaching church. Well, I want to tell you the good news and this is why I'm glad you're here this morning. We can be that church. Do you know that we get, and in fact, it's a privilege, we get to be that church. And today, in 2020, headed into a new year, as the world absolutely runs off its rails, as the world clamors along in absolute darkness, as people are today crushed in an existence outside of hope, we get to be that church. 
Friends, let's be that church. Today our message is entitled, The Constant Gospel of the Church. The Constant Gospel of the Church. Today we're going to continue Acts chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. Acts chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 12, beginning here in the 18th verse. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what, have, what have, could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon and with one accord, they came to him, having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain. They were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an, on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his, robe, his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. Verse 24, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and we are thankful today for a hope that endures. We're thankful for a peace that is fixed and established in all of it in the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm thankful for hope that outlasts a grave, that outlasts a cemetery. I'm thankful for, for a remedy for sinners such as I. I'm thankful for the forgiveness of sin. I'm thankful for restoration with a holy God. And Lord, we praise you for our salvation. Lord, I pray today as we study this account of the church I pray that we in the church wouldn't be able just to come and to check something off, come and to file something away, but we would be instructed today in the church. Lord, help impress upon us today. The world needs a gospel-preaching church. Build us, Lord. Shape us. Equip us. Lord, I, I pray now in the preaching of your word, if there's one that does not know you, maybe many here that do not know you, I pray that in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, we give you this time. We give you this hour. We pray that you're known through it, that you're glorified in it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue our march through the history of the formation of the church. And that's what we've been doing in our study in the book of Acts. We are moving, we are marching through the movement of the formation of the church. Now, be sure and understand as we study today, this is the actual history of the church preserved by God. Now, that's important to think about. He, he preserved this for us. He wants us to have this. And so we are looking at the history of the church given to us by God himself in his word. And so today, as we study this, understand the living God is training us in his church today. He is equipping us, he is building us in his church today. We are being prepared in the hearing of this study today. 
That's a pretty awesome thing. Now, I want to say this. In 2020, today, we had better be listening. I want to be sure today, in 2020, we better be paying attention because as the world needs the church, listen to me, Satan knows that. Satan knows that. And so I, I, want, I want you to be very clear. And so he has attacked the church today. He, know, he knows what to do, and he's attacked the church. Today you look around, and he has distracted the church today. He's led the church to be distracted, to, to take up causes that aren't the cause of the gospel, and he has distracted the church today. More than that, he has distorted the church today. He's led the church to be something, to take up a message that wasn't their message, and he's changed the church. He has distorted the church today. I want you to be sure Satan's goal is the destruction of the church today. That is his goal. So today in these vital days, we had better be listening to God as he teaches us of the church. It is that big of a deal. How big of a deal is it? Well, ask any of those 28, if you could, who died outside of Christ, how important a gospel preaching church is. Listen, we better be listening today. So today we move and God lead us. That is my prayer. God grow us, help us as we listen today. Now, last week, if you remember from last week, for the second week, we looked at the account of the arrest of Peter. And it was, it was a pretty awesome account to look through, to, to go through and, and see it. Uh, King Herod has a big plan. He has hatched a grand plan to kill Peter. And we saw that last week. He wasn't just going to embarrass Peter. He wasn't just going to arrest Peter. He was going to kill Peter. And in killing Peter, he was going to set himself up with the Jews. The Jews do not like the message of Jesus as the Messiah, and they would approve of this. And so as he kills, as he kills Peter, he's going to set himself up with the Jews. Well, in doing that, he's going to secure his place with Rome. Rome wanted security in the region. Rome wanted there to be calmness in the region. And so if the Jews are appeased, if the Jews are happy, Rome would be happy. And so Herod has a grand plan. I will arrest Peter. I will kill Peter. The Jews will be happy. Rome will be happy. And he'll secure his place. He has a grand plan. And so he arrested him. We saw last week he has 16 soldiers assigned to Peter. Now, you think this wasn't a big deal? You think this wasn't imperative for him? 16 soldiers to guard one man. We read the account last week. God delivers Peter. Remember the account? An angel comes. He, he actually pokes him in the side. He, he bumps him in the side and his chains fell off, and he says, get your shoes on, get your stuff together, we're leaving here. His chains drop off, and they, they walk out of that cell. They, the, the Bible tells us when they get to the gate, the, the gate, they've passed the one guard, they've passed the guard outside the, the prison cell. Now they get out to the gate of the, of the prison yard, and the gate itself opens up, and Peter and this angel, they walk out. He escapes, he is delivered at the hand of, Oh God. Well, tonight, today, our account continues. All right, here we go, starting back in verse 18. Now, when day came, 
there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what ha- could have become of Peter. Now, when the day when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. <clears throat> Verse 18 tells us, as the sun comes up, there's a large disturbance there at the jail. There's no small disturbance. There is a large disturbance. Now, the, the Greek word here, the original language for disturbance, means tumult, disorder, or commotion. And so there is a great tumult there in the jail. There is a great commotion that takes place there in the jail. And let me tell you why. The Roman law was that if there was an escaped prisoner, the guard responsible for watching him would be executed. And so on this very day when the sun comes up, remember there are 16 guards assigned to watching him. And so now there are 16 guards that are under the threat of death. And so Peter is gone and there's a great commotion. Notice the Bible says, as to what could have become. I think that's interesting. They have no idea what became of him. There, 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 there was an attack. There wasn't some rebellion that was mounted. There wasn't an inside job. They can't find a possible way that he would be gone. And so there is a commotion. Imagine they're under the threat of death. There is a panic. And they say, well, did you look down there? Did you look around that corner? Well, what about in the cell? Did you look everywhere? And they say, yes, we looked there. Yes, you were the one watching the door. What happened at the door? Well, you were the ones by his side. What happened there? How did we miss him? Did you look there? And the pressure is building under the threat of death. Verse 19. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards in order that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Herod needed that day. Herod was was relying on that day. He needed the execution of Peter. He, He doesn't need the Jews to turn against him. He doesn't need Rome to say, what in the world's going on down there in your district? Why can't you control them? Why is there an uprising? He needed that day. And so he also panics. The Bible actually says that he searches for him. I imagine as he breaks into that jail, he, he asks what's happened and he, he starts to look around and he wonders how Peter got away and he panics. The Bible says he orders that they would be killed, that they would be led out to their execution. They'll not go home to their family. Lead them out to their execution. And then Herod, I guess like a lot of us, decides that the best thing to do here is to leave town, to take a vacation, to go somewhere else, maybe to put your mind on something else. He had the perfect setup. He had him caught. He had him in jail. He had 16 guards. He had the perfect setup. The Jews were going to celebrate. Rome was going to be behind him. He had the perfect setup, and it has been foiled. It has been ruined. And so he says, you know what? I'll go somewhere else. I'll go to the coast. The Bible says he goes down to Caesarea. It's actually to the north, but it is a drop in elevation. So he leaves Jerusalem, and he literally travels down to the coast, to the city of Caesarea, down out of Jerusalem. All right, verse 20. Now, he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. 
And with one accord, they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. All right, verse 20, the, the account goes on. The account travels forward. Uh, it is probably seven or eight months. It's not an immediate thing. He goes down to Caesarea, and it's, it's several, several months, seven or eight months later, and there are these two cities, Tyre and Sidon. And they are out of his jurisdiction. And this is an interesting thing. He does not rule those cities. He gets no say in those cities. They are outside of his jurisdiction. But for some reason, he has a feud with these cities. Now, it was probably economic. It was most likely tied to trade. Now, they were doing something that upset him. And so it fuels this hatred between, between Herod and these two cities. They're outside of his jurisdiction. However, they get their food and their supplies from cities inside of his jurisdiction. So you know what he does? He does what we do a lot today. He cuts them off. He says, you know what? You're not getting your supplies. You're not getting your food. And he, and he starts a, a, a war by cutting off their supplies to them. Well, the Bible says they get Blastus, who was a personal attendant, probably his closest personal attendant, and they tell him their side of the story. They, the Bible says they win him over to their side of the story, and he goes and he talks to Herod. The personal assistant goes, and he makes their case, and they arrive at a conclusion. He makes peace. There is an agreement. All right, verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. On the day that he's going to declare their treaty, he's decided to have a big ceremony. And so a rostrum, it's a raised platform. It's a, it's a platform much like this. He goes to the, to the raised platform, and the Bible says he put on his royal apparel. Historians outside of the Bible, a guy named Josephus actually describes this exact day. His apparel was a robe made out of pure silver. He had a robe that was made out of pure silver. The entire robe is made out of pure silver. And so he, he goes to the raised platform and it's early in the morning and the sun is shining on him and it was a wild sight to see the reflection off of his silver robe. And he began speaking there on the platform. As he's speaking, listen to verse 22. And began delivering an address to them. The end of verse 21, verse 22. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. Now, I'm not sure that they were that impressed with him. Now, some of them may have been. Or I'm not sure they weren't trying to just appease him. They weren't trying to earn his favor. But for whatever reason, as he's up there in his silver robe, as he's up there on the platform making his address, they start chanting, calling him a God. Surely we're hearing the voice not of a man, but of a God. And that becomes the cry of the crowd. And they begin to actually chant that as he's standing up there. Surely we are hearing the voice of a God. This must be a God. 
not the voice of a man. Verse 23. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Verse 23, they are chanting, the voice of a God, he is God, and he allows it. He does not stop them. Now, I think it's a funny thing, and I, and I wonder today when you find a cult, uh, and here he is, did you know he knew he wasn't a God? <laughs> he, he knew he wasn't a God. He knew who he was. He knew who his parents were. He knew his past. He knew he wasn't a God but he doesn't stop them. They're saying the voice of a God, and I'm sure it's building up his ego, and he knows he's not a God. He doesn't correct them. And so the Bible says, an angel of the Lord struck him. Now, there's some discussion here. I don't think it matters. There was some discussion that said it, it could have been the rupture from the cyst that formed because of a tapeworm, and that's what the verse means because it's the order. He was eaten by worms and he died, and so there's some that say that's the possible reason. I don't think it matters why he died. The truth of the matter is the cause of his death is God himself. God struck him down and Herod dies. Now be sure and see this. Here is this life. Here is this man that is totally self-focused. Do you know that? He is totally self-consumed. He doesn't, did you know he doesn't care about the church? He's not for the church. He's not against the church, and yet he's willing to kill its leaders. He doesn't care about the church. Did you know he doesn't care about the Jews? He needs them. He has to have them. He doesn't care about the Jews. They come and tell him all this stuff. He does their bidding. He doesn't care about the Jews. Did you know he doesn't care about Rome? He's not loyal to Rome. He doesn't care about Rome. He, he has to have the Roman government to give him his position, to give him his stature, so he works within the system. He's not loyal to Rome. He's loyal to himself. These people he's made a treaty with, it's not about them. He doesn't care if they starve to death out there. It's about him. He doesn't care about them. He is totally self-serving. He's totally self-promoting, and he's consumed in prideful self-worship. See that, that's the core of his whole deal. He's consumed in prideful self-worship. And the living God of all creation, the one worthy of all glory, looks down and he snuffs him out. Oh, he could have mustered up an army. Oh, right now he had the support of Rome. Oh, right then he serves as the king, the tetrarch, the leader of the region, Right then, he's decked out, and he's got a whole robe made out of silver, and the sun is shining, and he's up on the podium, and it's his big day, and he is self-promoting and self-worshiping, and the God of all creation says, oh, you little man, and he snuffs him out. Do you know the opposite of true worship of our God is always worship of self? Oh, I don't, I don't have idols like that. I don't worship like that. I'm not a pagan like that. Do you know the opposite of truly worshiping our God at its very core is always worshiping yourself. The bottom line, the opposite of true worship is the worship of self. Do you know the root of all sin is the prideful worship of self? I deserve this. I have this position. I can do what I want. I know better than God. 
The root of all sin is prideful worship of self and the testimony of scripture all the way through is our God cannot stand it. And so for King Herod, he steps in in judgment. All right, there's the account. Three weeks moving through that account. Then we have the summation of this account and really I think it's the summation of Acts up until this point in the 24th verse. All right, three weeks we've covered this account. All the way since Acts chapter one, we've covered this section of the book of Acts and we now have a summation verse here in verse 24. Listen to verse 24. <clears throat> but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Now, uh, paragraph breaks aren't in the original text, but in my, in my breakdown, there is a paragraph break before this verse, and there is a paragraph break after this verse. I believe this verse stands alone, and I believe it is a summation verse. It says, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Now understand, there's gonna be a turning point in our study of Acts, there's gonna be a turning point in the book of Acts right after this. This will actually be the last report of the Christian church in Jerusalem. We'll not hear any more reports, any more updates on the church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. We will only hear from Peter one more time, and that's in chapter 15 when the council meets. We're only gonna hear from Peter in the book of Acts one more time in chapter 15, starting in chapter 13, right below this verse, the account of the church is gonna turn now and it's gonna focus on the ministry of Paul. There is a change that is coming here in the book of Acts. But this first section, the first 12 chapters coming down to this 24th verse of chapter 12, this first section ends, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Now this morning, I want us to see this important declaration. In fact, I think it's the point behind the entire sermon. We need to see this important declaration. The Greek word, and man, it's, it's awesome that words mean things, but the Greek word for but, now there's several forms of this word, but the one used here, listen, it means this, it translates this, and on the other hand. Now, now listen, there's different forms of the word but, but the one that's used here in the original language means and on the other hand. That's gonna be pretty awesome. That's gonna be very specific here in a minute. In the immediate context, Herod kills James and the Jews are pleased, but on the other hand, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. On the one hand, Peter is arrested and he's miraculously delivered in the power of God. But on the other hand, the word of the Lord continues to grow and to be multiplied. On the one hand, the church is harassed. However, on the other hand, the word of the Lord continues to grow and to be multiplied. On the one hand, Herod is judged. He sets himself up in self-worship. He's judged and he dies at the hand of God. But on the other hand, the word of the Lord continues to grow and to be multiplied. Do you see what is constant 
in the early church. Whether it's good times or bad times, whether it's easy times or hard times, do you see what doesn't change in the early church? Whatever is going on on the one hand, and we can go all the way through, whatever is happening on the one hand, on the other hand, the word of the Lord continues to grow and to be multiplied. Now let's look closer at this declaration. It's pretty awesome. Notice it says, but the church continued to grow and be multiplied. It's not what it says. But the excitement, oh, it continued to grow and to be multiplied. It's not what it says. It says, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. The word of the Lord. What is the word of the Lord? What is the word of the Lord? Be sure, the word of the Lord, listen very carefully. It is the message of Jesus the Nazarene. It is the truth. What is the word of the Lord? It is the truth of Jesus the Christ. What is the word of the Lord? Be very sure today, it is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is his sinless life. It is his sacrificial death for sinners. It is his literal burial. He is dead. It is his supernatural victorious resurrection, all for the remedy of sinners. It is the account of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice there, it says the word of the Lord, the gospel continues. Here's what it says, to grow. That word in the original language means to increase in size or scope. And so it was this size, but it was that size later. It was a bigger size. The word of the Lord, the, the proclamation of the gospel increases in size, but it doesn't stop there. It says as well, and to be multiplied. Now, why does it say that? To multiply means to increase in maximum capacity. You can keep adding two plus two plus two plus two, or you can multiply two times two times two times two. It is to increase in maximum capacity. It is to greatly grow. And so I want you to see this. No matter what is happening over here, no matter what is going on in there, no matter what is going on out there, what is steadfast in the church, what is growing in the church is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See that in this verse. See what's constant in this verse. Take note in our study so far. The church is commissioned by Christ in chapter one. The church is empowered by God in chapter two. The church is moved and centered on faithful preaching in chapter three and chapter four. The church is threatened from within. A threat within wells up in chapter five. The church is committed to the word of God and to prayer in chapter six. The church is hated and persecuted to the point of even death in chapter seven. The church is scattered because of persecution to the wind in chapter eight. The church is persecuted by Saul himself in chapter nine. The church is opened up, praise the Lord, to all people in chapter 10. 
The church is discipling new converts there in Antioch in chapter 11. The church is then attacked again in chapter 12. But all the while, listen to me, friend, all the while from, from, Acts, from Acts chapter one all the way to this 12th chapter, whether it's good or bad, whether it's hard or easy, whether it's under the threat of death, whether it's in hardship, the testimony of the church is, come what may, the gospel of Jesus is growing and is multiplied. Dear friend, listen to me. And man, we need to write it down. We need to carve it into our, into our hearts. We need to write it on our doorposts. Listen to me today. If our message in the church is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have no message in the church. We go and you hear nonsense and nonsense and nonsense. Listen, if the message of the church is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have no message in the church. If our mission, our purpose in the church is not the proclamation of the gospel, we have missed our purpose in the church. We can take on all kinds of things. We can do all sorts of things. But if we're not proclaiming the gospel, we've missed our purpose in the church. We in the church... Saved by the grace of a loving God. Do you understand that's what you are as a believer? Saved in the grace of a loving God, no work of yourself. You didn't earn it, friend. We in the church saved in the blood of Jesus. We are to stand in a world that hates it. And we're to stand in a world that needs it. And we are to proclaim Jesus saves, Jesus saves Jesus saves. The world needs the church, listen, because the world needs Jesus. They're not gonna find him anywhere else. They're not gonna hear of him anywhere else. The world needs the church because they will die and they will perish eternally outside of Christ. The world needs the church because the world needs Jesus. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Let me tell you this. The work of salvation is done. The work of salvation is finished. The work of the cross is over. Jesus paid the penalty. It's paid forever. The book of Hebrews says we're not going back there. The penalty's been paid. He stands right now as the risen, reigning king, the savior. The work of salvation is done. But what's not done is the proclamation of the gospel. What's not done is the preaching of the gospel. There's still many, many, many folks right in Vernon, Texas that do not know Jesus as their Lord and savior. What's not done is the preaching of the gospel. And the world needs to hear and eternity hangs in the balance. We act like everything else is a lot weightier than that. Listen, nothing is as weighty as that. Eternity hangs in the balance. Here's the message. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for these saints not one of them earned a salvation, not one of them deserved it. 
We all, each of us, where we sit here today, we rebelled against you. We went our own way. We forgot you. We neglected you. We sinned against you. You love us. You love us and you forgive us. You take our mess, my mess, our shame, and you carry it to the cross of Calvary, and there you pay for it. You settle the account. It's paid for, and then you're, then you're risen from the dead. The, the, the penalty's received. You stand in victory and, 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 and belief in that, in the hope of that, the trust of that, the truth of that. The Bible says each of us, if we'll believe it, we're saved. Lord, I praise you for that. I thank you for that. But I also know there's a whole world all around us. Some of them haven't heard. Some of them have heard and they're rejecting it. Some of them are marching along in self-promotion, self-worship. They will perish outside of Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that you left us here and you gave us a commission. You've left us here and you've given us a purpose to preach to the glory of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be diligent. Help us to be urgent. Lord, prepare a way and open ears and open hearts. And may you be greatly glorified all the way through it. Lord, we're thankful. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for this 24th verse. Thankful for your instruction today. Thankful that as I stand here today, I have a hope settled, a peace finished. I praise you and I exalt you. Lord, as we close out this service, I ask that you would work. It's your service. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of those that are lost, those that don't know you. I pray that today in the, the preaching of the gospel, the, the hearing of the good news, that today they might find you. And that would be for your glory. And I pray for those here that are believers. I pray that in the instructing of the church, that we wouldn't get disillusioned, we wouldn't get distorted, we wouldn't become disenfranchised, but we would commit to the church and the proclamation of your gospel through it. Help us there, Lord. Again, all of it for your glory. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.